0: Hello everyone, welcome back to Astrology for Beginners. I'm your host, Stephanie Kate Boucher, and if you are back again for our third episode, I am so happy to have you here and so grateful that you are spending your time with me to learn about astrology. This is the podcast for you if you've ever wanted to learn how to read a natal chart or kind of interested in astrology and wished that you understood it more, but you didn't know where to begin and it seemed too complicated and you didn't have the time or the resources to invest in learning it. My goal is to break things down for you episode by episode in the most simplified way that I can so that you can learn to speak the language of the stars. Now, uh, back in the first episode, we talked about The anatomy of a natal chart, uh, or any type of chart, really, because they're all kind of built the same way and they all look really similar. And I showed you what a natal chart looks like, how it's structured, and we talked about what each of the most basic components of a chart mean. We talked about the shape of a chart being a circle or a wheel, and how that wheel is the view of the sky at the moment of and location of your birth, like a map. We talked about the 12 houses in astrology and where they sit within that wheel. We talked about the 12 zodiac signs and how they sit on a dial that rotates clockwise around the houses and the earth, uh, which is in the center of the chart. And we talked about the planets and how their placement in a chart gives us information about the types of energy that will be showing up in a person's life and where in their life it will be showing up. Um, In other words, the sign that a planet is in. So it was a lot, but we just skimmed the surface of each of those things in a really basic way so that you could begin to understand what you were looking at when you looked at a chart. So now, over the next several episodes, I want to take a deeper dive into each one of these components. And today, we're going to talk about the houses, because the houses and what each one represents tells us so much. So much of the information we get from a natal chart is based on the 12 houses and what's happening in them. Uh, So it seems like a really natural place to start. So we're going to talk about the 12 houses in a chart and the meanings of each one. I'm going to see how this goes in terms of time. I might do all 12 in this episode, or I might just do half today and the other half in the next episode. And that's partly for time and partly because it's a lot of information and I don't want you to feel bogged down trying to absorb too much all at once. But let's see how it goes. For a visual reference, I've created a handout and I've included a link to that in the show notes. You do not need to have that in front of you while you listen today. You can if you want to, and if you're in a space where it's easy for you to look at something, um, feel free. Some people prefer having something in front of them because they're more visual learners and it makes concepts easier to grasp. But as long as you know what a chart looks like, and if you listen to the first episode, then you do— then you should be able to just listen and understand what I'm saying. Uh, I mostly wanted you to have the handout to refer to later because learning the house meanings by heart and committing them to memory does take some time. So it can be helpful to have a little cheat sheet to refer to quickly when you forget uh, what a particular house is all about and you just need a quick reminder. So as I mentioned in the first episode, there are 12 houses and the first house starts out on the far left-hand side of the chart, just below the middle. And that line with the arrow at the top of the first house is your ascendant line, which is not only how you most often show up in the world and how other people see you, but also what sets up the structure for the rest of your chart. If you're a Libra rising like me for example that generally means you're going to have Scorpio ruling your second house because that's the sign that comes after Libra, Sagittarius ruling the third house, Capricorn ruling the fourth, and so on. Now, each house represents a different area or a different function of your life. And the way You know, I actually heard a really good analogy one time, and I can't remember where, describing the differences between the houses, the signs, and the planets in a chart and how they work together. And it was like, if you pretend your life was a movie or maybe a TV show or something, the houses are like the individual sets or the stage uh, that a scene might be filmed on, right? So, Imagine the show Friends for a moment, uh, because I think we've probably all seen that show. You have the set that is Monica and Rachel's apartment. You have the set that is Chandler and Joey's apartment. And you have the set for Central Perk for when they're in the coffee shop. So each of those sets is like a house. It's a different part or a different aspect of the show. and. The planets are like the actors on the show who are doing all the things and the actors or the planets each have a role to play and the role that they play, that personality or persona that they take on while they're on set is the sign that they're in. Does that make sense? I hope it does. Okay, so if you think back to the chart I gave you Or if you remember where the houses fall, on the wheel, you'll notice that half the houses, houses 1 through 6, are on the bottom half of the wheel. And the other half, houses 7 through 12, are on the top of the wheel. And those two halves are different. They have a different flavor and they function differently in our lives. So let's talk about that quickly and then we'll go house by house. The first six houses on the bottom are the personal houses. They govern our private lives, ourselves and our personality, our talents, our values, the way we express ourselves, our immediate environments and family members, our daily tasks, and so forth. If you have a lot of planets in the lower half of your chart, that's worth noting. People who have a majority of their planets here might tend to be a little more private and reflective, or if they're not, if if you have that in your chart, but you consider yourself more outgoing... Maybe you're someone who just enjoys being in your comfort zone a little more. Uh, People with these placements might be more attached to the places they come from and want to stay there throughout their lives. And they focus uh, more on their daily living and the people and things that surround them day to day rather than thinking about what's going on in the bigger picture of the world not always. It also depends on what else is going on in the chart as a whole, but that certainly can be a theme that you'll see. Conversely, The top half of the chart, or houses uh, 7 through 12, are made up of the social houses, and the social houses are more concerned with the events and people in the outside world. So if you have a majority of your planets at the top of your chart, you might be someone who has an interest in what's going on out in the world at large, out in the community. You might pay more attention to the news or world events or to social movements, and there might be more of a pull towards being involved in some of these things out in the world. Uh, You might also end up veering farther away uh, at some point in your life from the area you grew up in. Or if not, then you might just really like to travel to places that are farther away because you're interested in what's out there. Uh, You can still be subjected to this social energy, by the way, if you have loved ones close to you who are like this. So if you have a lot of placements in the lower half of your chart, but your spouse or your partner or your parents growing up have a lot of... um, placements in the upper half of their chart, then you may still wind up having some of these social house uh, experiences yourself because you just might have to go with the flow and um, accompany them on some of these adventures. Now let's go through the houses one by one. We'll start with the first one, of course, and the first house is the house of self first house is the beginning of all things. It is the place of initiation. It's how you initiate new activities or new things in your life. It is the way that you react to things on an instinctive level. Um, It's both what you are and what you're becoming and evolving into in this lifetime. Your personal outlook on life falls into this house. Uh, It's your self-identity, your self-image, how you project yourself into the world. And it also is your personality and your body and physical appearance. A lot of people are walking around carrying physical traits that are tied to the rising sign that rules their first house. Or they carry themselves in a way that might be seen as typical for someone in the sign that rules their first house or planets that are uh, contained within their first house. So it's the house of self. The second house uh, is the house of personal finances, possessions, and values. A lot of people call this the money house. It certainly can be, uh, but it's not the money that you share or that is tied to other people like the eighth house. This is the money that you earn for yourself, and it can show us how and in what way you are best able to earn money for yourself. So it can also tell us something about someone's profession sometimes, because there is that aspect of how someone makes their money, even though it's not the career house per se. It's still a good place to look for clues about that, also because it reveals our talents. Uh, It shows us what we're really good at. Our material possessions and the way we feel about our possessions also falls under the second house. Uh, Those are the things we own and that are important to us. And finally, our personal values fall under the second house. This includes the way we value ourselves, by the way, so our self-esteem and sense of self-worth can live here. Moving on to the third house. The third house is the house of thinking, communication, and transportation. This is a very cognitive house because it's about our mind and our thoughts and our intellect at a pretty basic level. It's about more, you know, everyday essential types of information and thinking and learning, as opposed to its opposite, the ninth house, where the philosophical big picture type of thinking takes place. But certainly, the third house is about reading and writing, our learning and education at the childhood level, um, speaking and communication skills for sure. But it's also about our immediate everyday environment. Our siblings are represented in the third house, incidentally, because they are part of our early environment on a day-to-day basis, and their presence can certainly shape our thinking. In fact, I I looked at a chart not too long ago where uh, a person had Venus conjunct Jupiter in the third house. Now, Venus uh, is can be many things, but one of the things people often associate Venus with is women. And in fact, the sign for Venus is the same as the sign for women. And Jupiter uh, can represent uh, expansion and abundance. So when I saw these two planets conjunct in the third house, um, my immediate thought was, It seems to me like this person grew up around a lot of women or a lot of girls. And so I asked, do you have sisters? And of course, it turned out that there were like four sisters or something. So um, it was a pretty on-the-nose interpretation of this Venus-Jupiter conjunction in the third house. Okay, so the fourth house. The fourth house is the house of home and family. This is not only our homes and family in the present moment, if you're an adult, but it's also our family of origin. And going back farther than that, it's our roots and our ancestry even, and sometimes maybe generational baggage or wisdom that's been passed down to you. This house represents the foundation of your life. Your upbringing is here. It's where you come from and also what your home life can tend to feel like now as a result of where you come from. Some astrologers, particularly uh, in traditional astrology, also feel like information can be found here about someone's uh, mother. Um, Others disagree and feel that uh, that thinking is a bit outdated and based more on traditional gender norms. What feels right to me is that it certainly can provide us information about your early caregivers, and in particular, whoever it was that was responsible for providing like the caregiving and the nurturing for you. Um, I think either parent can show up there personally the 5th house is the house of creativity, children and romance. This is a house people love to look at because a lot of fun stuff happens here. It's the house of pleasure uh, or maybe even you could call it the house of fun because it's all the fun stuff. It's all all the fun stuff in life falls under the rulership of this house personal interests and hobbies, creative endeavors of all forms, self-expression of all forms, all types of play like sports and games and fun activities. Children are here because kids embody the fun, playful spirit of this house and they bring more of that playful energy into your life when they're around. So people often look to this house uh, when they are thinking about starting a family, for example, to see what planet might be transiting there. Dating and romance are here, as is casual sex. This isn't the house to look at for long-term relationships so much or commitment. That's more the seventh house. But it is um, just that kind of fun, having a night out on the town, meeting new people, flirting, crushes, things like that. Of course, this type of playful dating can turn into love and later become more in line with the seventh house. That was less common throughout history and early studies of astrology when marriage was more of a business arrangement than a love partnership. You know, which is, of course, the love partnership is how we see it more today. So I think there's a little more overlap between those two houses more now than there used to be. The sixth house, the sixth house is the house of work, health and service. This house governs all of the things we do in our daily lives to make our lives work and run smoothly. It's about all the nitty gritty and the details of life. I always liken it to be like our to-do list. And I know that doesn't sound glamorous, but it feels that way sometimes. This is a house that requires executive functioning and organization. So certainly it's about the work that we do literally when we're at work. It shows us what types of tasks we're good at and the way in which we like to carry out those tasks. But of course, this mode of operation, um, which is the way we work, carries over into other parts of our daily grind as well, like health and fitness. We get up on a schedule, most of us, and we have to take care of ourselves and our physical body. We brush our teeth, we shower and groom ourselves, we have to feed ourselves, and we might be paying close attention to what we're eating to make sure we stay healthy. We go to our doctor's appointments, Every year, If we can, maybe we go for a walk every day or have some kind of exercise routine, routine being a key word here. Routines are very sixth house. Uh, and if we have or develop a health condition, we have to manage that on a regular basis. So our health lives here in the sixth house. It also governs service though, because service can also be full of mundane everyday tasks. Maybe you always pick up your kids at four o'clock every day, or each Tuesday after work you bring groceries to your aging dad, or you're getting something done for your boss that they asked you to do, or you have to take your dog to the vet. And pets uh, fall into the sixth house too, by the way, so I'm glad I just said something about dogs. All pets and your interactions with them are governed by the sixth house. Okay, I think I'm going to go ahead and I know I said I might do six today and six another. I think uh, we're good on time and we can just kind of plow through and keep going. I'm on a roll here. Um, The seventh house, we're moving on to the social houses now. Remember what I said about social houses. The seventh house is the house of relationships and partnerships. This is one of those houses everyone wants to ask the astrologer about because they want to find out when a long-term partnership or something like that might be coming their way. This is the house of our one-on-one relationships as opposed to larger groups. It used to be called simply the house of marriage back when marriage was expected and nearly everyone had to do it. Today, our understanding of this house is a bit more broad. It can encompass marriage and other long-term committed partnerships for sure, but it could also include other really significant relationships in your life, such as a business partner. Perhaps you start a business with another person and that relationship is incredibly important in your life. Or maybe it's a best friend that functions somewhat like a partner because they're always there for you. You see them a lot and they've had a huge impact on the trajectory of your life uh, and your personal development. Strangely, our opponents or competitors can also show up here, as can indications of a relationship ending, you know, if if there are transits currently happening that provide uh, the right energy for that. Now, the eighth house, the eighth house is the house of transformation and shared resources. This is one of the tougher houses to describe. I think I said in the first episode we did that the 12th house was one of the houses that was tough to quantify, and so now I'll say that the other one is the 8th house. And the reason these two houses can feel tougher to pin pin down is that they deal with concepts that tend to be intangible. Uh, But it is the house of transformation It literally used to be called the house of death uh, in the old days. Not so much your own death, but the death of others. I know that sounds scary, and it can mean that once in a while. um, I actually did lose my dad while Saturn was transiting my eighth house. And that's interesting because some astrologers associate Saturn with a father or father figure. But that's not how this house is going to show up for most people most of the time. Transformation. It's more of a metaphorical death we're talking about here. It's the end of something so that something new can come out of that and begin. It's a house that asks you to go deeper into something and peek beneath the surface and dig down and really get to the heart of what's going on. Uh, An interest in psychology, either professionally or personally, can show up here. So often psychologists um, have planetary placements here in the eighth house. So can uh, psychic proclivities or clairvoyance that can show up here. Uh, it's also the house of shared money and shared resources. We just talked uh, a few minutes ago about the opposite house on the wheel, the second house, as being the ha- uh, about the money that you earn for yourself. This money in the eighth house is uh, shared, uh, given, or received, and it involves other people. So what are examples? Inheritance could be one, uh, financial gifts or winnings of any kind, Uh, but it's also the money you owe. So it's taxes and loans you take out that you have to repay, your mortgage or your student debt, for example. I was looking at a chart recently where uh, a person was drowning in student debt and really worried about it. And there were, in fact, some difficult aspects going on, uh, some challenges visible in the eighth house. So interesting. It can also indicate the resources around your romantic partner or a spouse, whether the person has money or comes from money, or maybe that person has a lot of debt, or they gamble and they lose money, or you have a tendency to gamble, perhaps. Uh, So shared resources. And finally, importantly, it's the house of intimacy This house is about sex too, but not in the same way as the fifth house, which is more of the the playful variety. This is where we form really intimate bonds with another person and allow ourselves to be vulnerable in a transformative way. Because transformation again, full circle. Moving on to the ninth house. The ninth house is the house of higher education and philosophy. The learning that is associated with ninth house activities are much more complex and often bigger picture than the learning that takes place in its opposite house, which is the third. Uh, This would be learning as an adult, like, say, in college or at a university, for instance. Academia is definitely covered here. uh, or research, or any lifelong interests or study that keep you engaged in learning over longer periods of time. The ninth house is very philosophical, and it rules over any endeavors related to this kind of thing, like publishing, or books, or wisdom and understanding. It also rules travel to foreign countries and the learning or exploration of different cultures. So, People with strong, uh, sorry, ninth house placements often have an interest in the world or in foreign affairs even. Religion can show up here in the form of asking and answering the big questions about life and what's out there and why am I here and and that kind of thing and um, exploring what it is someone believes to be true. It really is the philosopher's house, and it's a pretty adventurous place as well. It seeks new experiences. The 10th house. Uh, The 10th house is the house of career and public image. This is another house that people love to look at. Uh, To say it's the house that rules over one's career and reputation is Pretty self-explanatory, but I'll also add that you can find information in this part of someone's chart about financial success, somewhat like the sixth and the second houses because career certainly impacts our financial success, but it's also about issues related to status and prestige. These are the career themes that develop over many years or your whole life as opposed to what you're doing at work on a daily basis, like the sixth house. Also, leadership abilities can show up here for some people. A lot of politicians or people working in government, for example, have placements in the 10th house uh, for the reasons we just mentioned and also because it deals with authority and responsibility, including social responsibilities out in the bigger world. But really, any career can be relevant here and show up here as long as it's something that's going to be a big focus in that person's life. Having planets here uh, tend to place emphasis on this area of life and 10th house issues. So you'd want to certainly pay attention um, to what's in your 10th house because that indicates something you're going to focus on a lot. In traditional astrology, uh, astrologers used to say that there was information about someone's father in the 10th house. And just remember, think back to when we were talking about the fourth house and I said that they used to think it was about the mother. And I'm going to say the same thing here. I think in modern times, it's not so much important whether it's the mother or father. But I do think there can be information in the 10th house about the reputation or success of one's parents generally and kind of what their reputations and social standings were. The 11th house. Let's go there now. Uh, the 11th house is the house of friendship and groups. This is all about a sense of community and belonging. This would be the domain of any groups you belong to, uh, and any clubs or teams that you're on, any associations that you belong to, and your social circles, like simply your group of friends. Uh, For some people, though not all, it can overlap a little bit with issues of the 10th house. Because if you have a career that is really public facing or you deal with a lot of people as part of your job, like say you're in sales or you work in the media and you have larger audiences who you are made visible to, that can show up, you know, in the 11th house sometimes. Maybe you're a humanitarian and you're focused on people in the more global sense and in this day and age that we're living in, I've observed it to show up more and more as social media influencers, for example, can have placements in the 11th house because followers and fans uh, who are part of the greater collective can show up here. And I should mention that the 11th house can very much be about the collective of people Uh, in addition to your own sort of more personal community type groups. And that brings us to our last house, which is the 12th house. It is the house of solitude, spirituality and things that are hidden. Here we are at last back at the other house I said was a bit fuzzy. Solitude and alone time are certainly big themes here. This can be Really important for people who see themselves as more introverted, or maybe they simply have a profession or hobbies or interests that are best done away from other people. Things like writing or art or intensive study of some kind. This can be uh, where you retreat to work on something important or even just recharge your batteries. It's also about anything that tends to be hidden from view. So spirituality and our connection to source, the unconscious mind, buried or forgotten memories, subconscious beliefs or behavior patterns, secrets, Some people, particularly if they have Venus in this house, might at some point in their life have had a secret affair or maybe a secret love that they never told anyone about. Something like that. It doesn't have to mean that, but it sometimes could. It's also the house that rules over the other fuzzy concepts like confusion or uncertainty, Mental health concerns or escapism. What do you escape into when life gets really frustrating? And finally, it can be about uh, endings or the completion of something. And that's not a bad thing. Sometimes it's about lessons that you've been working on a long time and that you're finally wrapping up or some cycle that is coming to completion. So that that is all 12 houses. I know it's a lot. Uh, I think this gives you more than enough to chew on. Um, It's going to take you some time to remember it all. So just go slow and give yourself all the time you need. The study of astrology is a marathon, not a sprint. You might want to go back and listen to this episode a second time if you think that would be helpful for you, maybe take some notes, or just keep that handout I provided, that little cheat sheet at the ready, so that you can reference it whenever you need to. And as with all things in astrology, this too will become second nature if you just keep going. You can do it, I know you can, and I will see you at the next episode.